Welcome to the podcast, a monthly podcast brought to you by Profitable Ideas Exchange. Your partner in strategic relationships and business development. We are your hosts, Aubrey Darden and TJ Dennis. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this month's edition of the podcast brought to you by Profitable Ideas Exchange. We're so excited to be bringing on an executive from a Bozeman local business. TJ, why don't you tell us a little bit about Tim Parati from Wealthfest? Absolutely. Tim is a distinguished equity researcher with over 25 years of experience in various aspects of equities business. Prior to being at Wealthfest, he spent seven years in equity research management roles at Deutsche Bank and then most recently at BMO, um, where he was a managing director and head of U.S. product management. He has 11 years of investment experience um, and was the head of a consumer research and portfolio manager at the Galleon Group. He's a graduate of Boston College and he splits his time between Summit, New Jersey and being here in Bozeman in the office. Um, I feel like we're going to learn something today. Tim, Tim, in just talking with Tim really briefly, um, super smart guy. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And, you know, I am certainly no economic expert, so there is no doubt I will be learning something during this interview today. So let's get <laughs> over to our interview with Tim. Sounds good. Hey there, Tim. Welcome to the podcast. How are things in your world today? Very good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate uh, being able to bring in another Bozeman business for our, uh, you know, this will actually be the first podcast episode we've had to date where we're featuring another company in Bozeman, which is really exciting because I don't think people realize some of the cool work that comes out of the Gallatin Valley at all. Well, Wealthfest is a great company. Uh, people are always a little surprised when I tell them I work for a company in Bozeman. I live just outside of New York, uh, but they've built a great team. I mean, I think a lot of it is about uh, levering Montana State. I, I mm -hmm. think that when you look at all the young people and all the enthusiasm of, of all the young people uh, within Wealthfest, I think so many of them come from uh, Montana State and they want to be in Bozeman. And I think a lot of the people who come to work for Wealthfest in Bozeman, a lot of it is because they want to live in such a beautiful area. A hundred percent. And I think all of us love this little valley and we like tell people it's wonderful, but only a little bit. You know, we don't want to convince everybody on earth to move to the Gallatin Valley. Right. <laughs> Realtors are doing well enough these days in, in Bozeman, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I I guess my follow-up question is, can you tell folks a little bit more about what Wealthfest is? Yeah. So Wealthfest is a marketing organization and we sell uh, mostly annuities and equity structured products. And we represent uh, some very big entities such as Prosperity, which is the insurance entity owned by Elliott Management, which is mm -hmm. a, I think, a $60 billion private equity firm. Uh, we also represent Citigroup in selling equity structured products, as well as a number of other insurance uh, and bank and broker dealers. Mm. And we sell all over the country. Gotcha. That's great. Thanks so much, Tim. Um, so, you know, just noting that you are kind of thinking about the market and money a lot. One of the things that we're hearing in our conversations with executives, regardless of industry, is that the market feels a little weird right now, right? We're hearing maybe it feels a little scary, maybe opportunistic, volatile. You know, there's a, a million different words we could use to describe it. So 
what's really going on in layman's terms with the market and the economy right now? Um, well, why don't we uh, why don't we start with the economy, right? And I, I think you know people have talked a lot about the most anticipated recession in history. And there's obvious reasons why people anticipated a, a recession and still do. Uh, when the Fed raises interest rates by 500 basis points in a hurry uh, in the fastest and steepest uh, hiking cycle in post-war history, yeah, people are going to expect that there's going to be a recession. When you get an inverted yield curve, you tend to get a recession. When you get the senior loan officer survey showing uh, that credit is tightening and demand for credit is falling, you tend to get a recession. When you get to incredibly low unemployment rates and, those, and then we start to come off the bottom, you tend to get a recession. So economists are all looking at the same history and the same facts uh, and saying, okay, a recession is just around the corner. Well, there's a couple of things that have gotten in the way. I think the most interesting aspect of this economy, where you really see what's gotten in the way, is housing, right? We all lived the great financial yeah. through the great financial crisis, and as you know, the Fed started raising rates, and it was all over but the crying, right? I mean, housing just absolutely collapsed. Well, this time is different, and we all learned from the great financial crisis. And after years and almost a decade of zero interest rate policy. Uh, most homeowners own their homes now at with locked in 30 year mortgages and at 30 year mortgages below 4%. And the vast majority of those are actually below 3%. So mm -hmm. you have a situation where the Fed needs credit sensitivity. Well, if I own my house at two and seven eighths, which I'm quite proud of, I've lived there for 15 <laughs> years, uh, I've got no credit sensitivity, right? right. I mean, maybe my, my youngest is heading off to college this year. I live in a I live in a high tax town with what people call a K through 12 community, but I'm not moving because I can't live anywhere cheaper. And that is the story told a thousand times over. It, it that is the reason we call it the golden handcuffs. People may have done really well in their house, but they're not going to move despite the 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 capital gains they would have uh, because they can't move anywhere and and get and, and nobody wants to get rid of that two and seven eighths mortgage. Yeah. The other side of it is there's the demand uh, has been, I think, stronger than you would expect, because when you look at affordability being at the worst that it's been since 1979, um, you would expect that there wouldn't be as many buyers. But you have such great accumulated wealth and you also have um, the intergenerational wealth transfer. Like the baby boom, the baby boomer generation is is on average turning 66 this year. But there's also plenty of baby boomers if, if it just started post World War that are getting into their mid 70s. Uh, so you have a lot of wealth transfer. The 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 the, the greatest generation that has become quite wealthy that uh, is now bequeathing assets to their kids, and it's going to be two trillion dollars a year of money that is moving from, you know, not terribly active in the economy to far, far more active in the economy. And mm -hmm. one of the things that you see in housing is so many cash buyers. And while a lot of those are institutional, there are also a lot of people whose parents are helping them with the down payment on that, frankly, overvalued house that they're buying. So housing really tells the story in my opinion, on both supply and demand as to why we have held up as well as we've held up. I still think we have a recession, uh, sure. but it is taking much longer than anybody thought. And I think 
that what you see in housing tells the story of why. Interesting. What was that number? Two trillion dollars per year. Yeah, the estimates are that there's about uh, $2 trillion a year of money that will move uh, generationally, both from, you know, both from people passing away, but also from estate planning. One of the ways that you can estate plan is to put a down payment on a house. Right. Wow. Interesting. That that number is mind boggling. That's a lot of money. (laughs) And it's not new money in the economy, right? That isn't going to show up in the money supply figures, but it really is interesting that it gets, it creates a higher velocity of money as opposed Mm -hmm. to changing the money supply. So, okay. Now here's maybe a silly question, but that change of $2 trillion taking place per month or per year, pardon me. Um, how does that affect things like inflation? You know, like in the early part of 2023, inflation was in the headlines every single day and it seemed like it was never going to end. Maybe it's down, maybe it's not. Does does that existing money going back into the market help soften inflation? Does it increase it? Like what, what happens there? Well, just think about everything in terms of supply and demand and it increases demand. And, okay. it, you know, yeah, it certainly increases demand. So, so I would argue... Uh, that it is an inflationary force, and it's an inflationary force that you certainly see in consumer services and the continued stronger than expected demand in continued ser- in in, uh, in in consumer services. Mm, interesting. Okay, yeah, I and mean, that makes a ton of sense. If I all of a sudden had a hundred thousand dollars that showed up in my checking account, I'd be buying some stuff. So sure. yeah, of course, everybody else is going to be doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay. All right. That's yeah. Sorry, Aubrey, I cut you off. No, no worries. Um, So just thinking more broadly about the economy, you know, what other kinds of issues are are you really thinking about as, you know, you talk about the most anticipated recession? Um, You know, we've been talking about this for what feels like almost two years about this recession coming. Right. Um, What macro issues are you thinking about? And is there anything either this year or beyond that our listeners should also be keeping an eye on? Yeah, I, I think you always got to return to that concept of long and variable lags, right? That's the famous Milton Friedman quote that Fed policy happens, manifests itself in the economy with long and variable lags. So we've raised interest rates by 500 basis points, but it hasn't filtered through the economy quite yet. It takes time to filter through the economy. And you, you can think of those long and variable lags and things such as if, you, if, you, if unfortunately you've got a variable rate mortgage, all of a sudden your cost is, costs are going up. Uh, the average person buying a used car nowadays is going to spend over 10% on their interest rate. Let's say you're a builder and you've got a construction loan from a few years ago that you got at 4%. As you roll over that construction loan, and you're now going to be rolling that up at eight and nine percent. That is happening every day in the economy, but it takes time for it to filter its way through. You know, one of the constructs that I like to use to think about the economic cycle is HOPE, hope. Happens to be my daughter's name, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I actually didn't make up the construct in, in all clarity. It was made up by a guy named Michael Kantrowitz. But it's a very good construct just to think about how the economic cycle is going to evolve. H is housing, O is orders in manufacturing, P is profits, and E is employment. The H and the O are leading indicators of the economy. 
This time around, though, the H is not leading the economy because of that credit insensitivity that I talked about before. Orders, and I'm talking about manufacturing, is absolutely in a recession. If you look at the ISMs, if you look at PMIs, if you look at the Fed's regional surveys in San Francisco, I'm sorry, in Richmond, in Dallas, in Philadelphia, in New York, and we've gotten all of these in the last couple of weeks, they're in recession. China uh, manufacturing has not recovered. Imports into China are still very, very weak and negative. Exports out of China are also meaningfully negative. Germany, a manufacturing powerhouse, is in recession. So there is a global manufacturing recession. Order books are starting to come down with book to bills below one. That tends to lead the economy. That is, a, uh, and then you look at profits, which is more of a coincident indicator. And while the equity markets have been super strong, and I, I'm sure you're going to want to talk about equities, the earning cycle is weak. NASDAQ profits in the first quarter were down 8%. S&P profits were flattish. Uh, and yet you just have this continued multiple expansion, I think because the bulls out there want us to believe that this is a bit of a profit nadir and we're going to come out the other side of it and we'll be off to the races again. I disagree with that, but I, that, I just articulating why people are bidding up equities and there doesn't always have to be a fundamental reason. And then E is employment. Employment, as strong as it's been, and as much as CNBC can freak out the first Friday of every month about the non-farm <laughs> payroll reports, if you look at the preponderance of evidence across employment, employment is slowing. We got a very important data point on Thursday of last week with jobless claims. Jobless claims spiked higher. When jobless claims spike higher off the bottom, we tend to get a recession. So while employment has stayed strong, I don't think we've seen Fed policy yet have the impact that it will have on employment. Construction employment is still positive, but we know yeah. that construction permits have rolled over. Commercial construction permits have rolled over. Multifamily permits have rolled. You still have a whole, right here in Bozeman, you still have a ton of multifamily that is under construction. That will get to completion cost of capital for those builders is going up. So they're not likely to start new building. And uh, the result of that is you're going to have some construction employment weaken, even in places that are so strong, where you have really strong local GDP, because you have so much workforce growth, uh, like a Bozeman. Okay, so my, I guess my follow up question is, you said that the H and the O can tend to be leading and the P and yes. the E are following. But it, obviously, we're, that's not the case in this particular situation. When was the last time that happened? Like, maybe you know, this I, is like a, hist well, a history lesson more than... <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any... A P, and P, the P profits is a coincident indicator, not to be too pedantic. Mm -hmm. But the housing acting like this, to my knowledge, is unprecedented. And, you know, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I keep saying nobody, nobody called this. I didn't call it. Nobody called it. Nobody said to you, you know... Uh, uh, Aubrey, the, or, or TJ, the, the Fed is going to raise interest rates by 500 basis points. And you know what's going to be making new 52-week highs? The Home Builder Index. Like nobody said that. And no, but nobody saw that, oh, you know what? After 10 years of zero interest rate policy and 70% of mortgage owners being at under 4%, won't there be some reluctance for people to leave their house? I think, and that's obviously the way it's played out. It seems like it should have been predictable, but nobody predicted it. Hmm. The, the issue is that there is no precedent for it. 
because we've never had 10 years of ZERP. We never previously had 10 years of zero interest rate policy. And that is what created this dynamic of the golden handcuffs where people are in their houses for very low interest rates. So, so no, I, I don't think the Fed anticipated it. I don't think the Fed thought for a minute that if we go 500 basis points, we're not going to have as much effect on consumer spending as we would like, because people are going to be still doing great on their houses. Like nobody had that call. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's such an interesting point too, because I just think about the past few years and my husband and I, bought a townhome at a very low interest rate and we ended up buying a new house kind of over the past year and we were really reluctant to sell our townhouse for that exact reason so it makes a lot of sense when you frame it up that way in fact we almost we tried everything we could to not sell it because of the interest rate but it didn't work out yeah no there's tremendous my wife is a realtor and you know she sees it you know she's got mm-hmm. buyers she's got plenty of people who want to buy and to that other point about demand very often it'll be a 40 year old buyer or a 45 year old buyer and yet mom and dad want to see it too because they maybe are putting down the down payment and and these aren't people these are people who work these are people who make very real money uh, but still not that many people at, at the younger age, younger, certainly younger than me, more your age, Aubrey, have the hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash required to, 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 to buy that first house, if that's the situation that you're in. Exactly. Um, okay, Tim, you've, you've sort of filled my brain up with a lot of things to think about, and I, I might be emailing you questions as they come to my brain over the next couple of weeks. Here's a here's a re- really off the wall question for you. You're passionate about this macroeconomic financial stuff that we've been talking about today, but if you were going to have another career in the whole wide world, you could go back in time and start at another date and have a separate career. What would your other career be? Like, or is this it? Are you doing the career you always thought you no, would? No, no, really. I mean, it sounds like the worst answer. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I swear to God, I found my calling at 50 years old. I, I, I mean, honestly, this is the job that I've always wanted. Let me just give you a, a, a super quick yeah. of my bio. Um, yeah, please. I worked at Morgan Stanley for seven years out of college. I worked in both covering hedge funds and then I worked in equity capital markets. I really wanted to be an investor. I really wanted to be on the investment side. So I went and worked for a little hedge fund. Um, I spent three years with that hedge fund and then went to a much larger hedge fund called the Galleon Group which was an $8 billion hedge fund run by a guy named Raj Rajaratnam. Unfortunately, old Raj ended up going to jail for insider trading, and that created a little oh. bit of a problem, as you might suspect, for Galleon. Sure. Uh, I then spent, and, and, I, and then I worked for some other small hedge funds, but raising money had become difficult. Uh, and uh, I then went to work uh, at Deutsche Bank. So I went back to the sell side. And I worked at Deutsche Bank and I worked at BMO in kind of research management roles in helping equity research uh, put out, you know, thoughtful, interesting, variant view research. Uh, But what I've always wanted to do is the job that I'm in now, which is being a strategist. And fortunately, uh, the owner of WealthVest, a guy by the name of Wade Dockin, um, when we met each other years ago, when we were doing work together, when I was at Deutsche Bank, he said, you know, Tim, I don't know, whenever the time is right, you're going to be my equity strategist. And I said, yeah, sure, Wade, I'm sure I will. We'll see. <laughs> and, and, you know, timing was right. And we had a conversation and and within a, a matter of days, we signed a deal to do this. I, I honestly can tell you that this is the job I've always wanted. Now, 
if you said, you know, well, you could, what, what if you, what if you could have been a pro golfer? Well, unfortunately I'm a 12 handicap. So that wasn't sure. probably <laughs> in the cards, yeah. but you know, I probably would have liked to have done that too, but you know, within the realm of where I've learned anything in life, this is the job from a, in a wall street context that I've always wanted. Not many people get to say that they're doing their dream job. So that's pretty awesome, actually. No, it is great. It is great. I, I, I feel incredibly fortunate. If I, was, if I was more religious, I would even say blessed. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, Tim. Well, um, I know that you also are a little bit of a thought leader in this space and that WealthFest has um, their own podcast, yes. um, The Weekly Bull and the Bear. Um, could you tell a little bit, uh, to our listeners about where they might be able to listen to that and kind of what you guys talk about during that podcast? Yeah, it's Drew Dawkin and I, and we try to keep it pretty tight. We keep it to 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, we do it every week and Drew actually pulls together, uh, the talking points and we talk about what is, whatever is sort of super relevant and what is in the high, what is in the headlines this week. And we'll talk about equity markets. We'll talk about bond yields. We'll talk about politics. Drew uh, actually has uh, a graduate degree uh, from a university in China. So he's got real expertise on sort of the geopolitical front. So mm-hmm. I've got probably a little more expertise on the financial side. So we kind of ham and egg it that way. That's great. Well, we'll make sure that we, oh yeah, I'm running over you, Aubrey. I keep doing that, I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Um, We're having some weather in Bozeman, so there might be an internet lag, Um, (laughs) but we'll, we'll be sure to share the link to your podcast in the show notes for this, for any listeners that might want to check it out. Um, And thank you again so much, Tim, for coming on the show. This, we both learned so much, like TJ said, my brain is very full. Um, (laughs) So it's going to take me a few days to digest all that, but we really appreciate your time. Oh, well, thank you both. I really appreciate doing it. And hopefully this is not the last time we get to talk. I'd love to be on the other side of this recession that might have started eventually one day and hear like your analysis on the other side. Well, we'll see. And since we're all in Bozeman, let's get a drink one of these days, huh? Oh, cheers to that. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Tim. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the podcast brought to you by Profitable Ideas Exchange. If you enjoyed the content in this month's discussion, please visit our blog at ProfitableIdeas.com or check out our books, Never Say Sell and How Clients Buy. Profitable Ideas Exchange, connecting powerful minds and making the world smarter and smaller.